So for all of you uh, mathematicians out there or people who like to figure out stats, what are the odds? I mean, what are the odds that the very first question I wanted to ask is the exact same question that Wayne asked? What, I mean, what are the, I mean, word for word, what are the odds of that happening on the same Sunday? They're very, very low because we did not coordinate. If we did, we, I'd wear a green shirt and then we would have really coordinated. So what do you, what do you hold value in? What, what is valuable to you? What's important to you? You know, there's a, as Wayne said, there's a wide variety of things that we have placed value in. Things that we hold very dearly to us. And rightfully so. There are many things that we hold value in that, that should hold value in our lives. Our family. How many of you value the family that you have? Hey, there's one at least. That's good. We should. We should hold value in that. It's important. So a few years ago, uh, a study came out from the Wall Street Journal. And it's always interesting when you, you see these studies because you think, okay, so how do, they, how do they get these numbers? Depending on how you get the numbers, it depends on how accurate the study is. And so they, they took these, these polls of thousands of people over the course of 12 years, starting from 2003 all the way up to 2015. So you get a, you get a fairly broad picture of the answer then because then they even broke it down even more and they broke it down by year how people spend their days and what that means in terms of what do people value because if you value something you're going to spend time with it you're going to spend time engaged in that process right so if you enjoy sports you're going to spend a certain percentage of your time involved in either watching sports involved in sports coaching sports you know doing something with sports and it will show then in your day, well, I spend this amount of hours engaged with sports, right? And that will show over the course of, of a year how much you spend. And so they had a breakdown from, again, like I said, 2003 to 2015. What is the one thing that we spend the most time on in our day? The number one thing, not by far, but everyone spends the most time doing in their day. Okay, Wayne already whispered it, I can read lips. When you don't hear very well, you get to pick up that trick every, every once in a while. Anyone else? Come on, we all do it. Sleeping, the number one thing every day, okay, is we sleep. Over, well over eight hours that most people on average sleep. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't spend over eight hours, I wish I did. But the majority of people, the average is out to more than eight hours a day sleeping. So you look at that percentage-wise, that's about a third of the day, a little bit more than a third of the day gone. Okay, so the next thing, number two thing that we spend our time doing is you get up from sleep and you go to, you go to work. Okay, so then the average American, North American, spends just a little bit over again, eight hours a day at work. So there's two-thirds of your day gone already taken up sleep work that when you put it in terms like that that sounds bad right like two-thirds of your day already gone and you've accomplished what 
sleep, and work. Okay, so now you think, okay, so here's, here's that rest of it, that one-third where I get to choose for myself what I want to do. Right? Here's this other eight hours a day where I get to choose how I'm going to be involved, what I'm going to spend my time doing. Okay? So of that eight hours left, what was the number one thing or the number three thing overall? Any guesses? Russ said, well, Russ mouthed, eat, and uh, he's wrong. Anyone else want to mouth something that I can try to read lips on? TV? Yeah. TV is the, uh, the next highest thing. So, well, they, they kind of wrapped it together, TV or leisure. And, and over three and a half hours, so almost half, not quite half, of that remaining eight hours is spent sitting in front of a box that speaks to you. Three and a half hours of TV. And... I would wager a guess that that's on the uptick now that things like Netflix and various other things are, are streamable and you can watch them everywhere you go and will be on the uptick as the next generation takes over because you think this is averaged out from, from all different walks of life and the younger generation spends much more time engaged in their electronics than uh, the older generations. So that's an average, but it still averages out to three and a half hours a day watching TV. Okay, so what's next? Number four. You gonna go with eating again? No, you're wrong again. <laughs> the, the next one is actually on the list is household activities. So cleaning your house, preparing meals, doing all these things that you do around the house. Number five, I'll just go through the list a little bit, is... Eating. Number five on this. So number five is eating. So here we are. We've gone through TV, household activities, eating. Number six is shopping. We spend a lot of time shopping, apparently. Seven is caring for family or others. Number eight is miscellaneous, like just random things that don't really fit into any category. So now we're getting down to the number nine thing on how we spend our day. So we see what we value, right? The things that we fill our time with. Number nine is, and this is quite a ways down the list. Number nine is civic, and they combine these two things, civic and religious activities. So spending your time in your community, volunteering, doing other stuff, and they combine that with religious activities. And do you want to wager a guess on the average amount of time that number nine is? If TV was three and a half hours, how much was number nine in civic and religious activities? Any guesses on how much time that was? There's, there's, a, there's a range. So I'll, if you get it in the range, you're right. Any guesses? Okay, so 15 minutes is too high. One is too low. Oh, one hour. No, one hour is way too high. 15 minutes is too high. Five. Okay, so about in the middle. It, it ranges out to about seven minutes to 11 minutes a day. Average. American, North American spends on civic duty or religious activities? A day. What do you do in seven minutes? I mean, it takes you seven minutes to almost do anything. Seven minutes to 11 minutes a day 
on religious activity. So that's, and that's combined with civic activity. So if you're volunteering somewhere an hour a week, that's it. That's, that's your minutes. Just, just wrap your head around that as we, as we claim this religious country we live in, Christian country we live in, that we're spending 7 to 11 minutes a day in anything regarding religious activities. That, that doesn't even match the miscellaneous things. Miscellaneous, we spend more time doing nothing that we couldn't even put into a category than we spend thinking about God and spending time in God's Word. We spend three and a half hours on average a day in North America watching TV. Three and a half hours compared to an average of about nine minutes. That means we probably spend more time watching commercials that we detest than we do reading God's Word. Because you think the average show is on for an hour and 20 of that is commercials? If you actually sit and watch the commercials. Now, put that into perspective when you say, okay, but, but we value God's Word. We, we value being a Christian. We value being engaged in prayer and study. And, and we value all those things. We don't as a society. Because these numbers aren't far off. The, the real difficulty comes is if these numbers aren't very far off in the church. Because this is an average doubt, right? So there would be some that say, I don't spend any time on religious activities. And so then others would have to be double that in order for it to average out into the middle. But still, double of, of nine minutes is still only 18 minutes. Just as there will be some who say, well, I don't watch any TV in a day. So there's some that watch seven hours to average that up. If you know how statistics works, not necessarily when you have thousands of people, but you get what I'm saying. There's more to it than that, but it's not a very high number when it ranks ninth on the list. Okay, so to put it in perspective, if we took even, even half of the time that we take to watch TV, just take half of that, all of a sudden religious activity would be the most that we do outside of work and sleep. I, even if we said to ourselves, okay, I'm going to watch three and a half hours of TV today, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop, I'm going to spend time in prayer, I'm going to spend time reading, just, just half the amount that we watch TV, we cut that out, all of a sudden, the most that we do, other than sleep and work, would be to spend time with God. Are, are we willing to do that as a society? Are we willing to do that as a church? Society, probably no. As a church, are we willing to? So the question again is, what do we value? What do we really value? It plays out, it naturally plays out in where we spend our money and how we spend our time. Do we understand the importance of the gospel? And does that... When we say we do, because I know the answer to that, right? When we say, do you understand the importance of the gospel? Your answer is, well, yes, yes, I do. Of course we do. Does that then reflect 
in how you spend your time. God has called us to, to have no other gods before him. What does an idol look like? You know, we look in the Old Testament, we, we see this golden calf, right? And that's probably the image that we get when we talk about idols is this golden image that people are bowing down to. We don't have any of those, right? I'm going to go out on a limb, say that we don't have any of those golden idols that we bow down to in our homes. So therefore, we don't, we don't have to worry about it. We're totally devoted to God. And yet, religious activities shared with civic duty is ninth on the list of how we spend our time. Is, is our relationship with God the most important thing to us? Turn into, back into 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, now, starting in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, again according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the last of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me, or with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. Go back into the, the beginning there. And it, the idea that they even then, when they have this closeness to, to Paul and, and to the words that he's preached and, and him sharing the gospel, that he says to them that you need to be reminded. And I think in, in our society we often need to be reminded of what is important because there's a lot of distractions, there's a lot of other things, as we saw, that can fill our time. And so he said to them, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. In the next verse it says that it was passed on to you as of first importance. What does first importance really mean? By this gospel you are saved. And it was passed on to you as of first importance. So when we say the importance of the gospel, is it first, is it the most important thing that we cling to, hold to, know, that we have to share and live by? How, how do we learn? You ever, you ever thought about how we learn? I had, a, I had a teacher once when I was in high school that often would pull out the old uh, overhead projector some of the, the young people don't know what an overhead projector is, uh, where you would slide the, the sheets up and then you would write. Well, she would have most everything written out on those flimsy plastic pieces, and she would just put it up there and say, copy this. And you're supposed to know it after you've copied it. And so we spent an hour, and I mean, that would be like torture today, but you would spend an hour just writing out notes. I, I don't really learn that way very well. 
I, I learn more auditory. So if I have a conversation with somebody, I can remember the conversation we had. If I read a book, okay, good luck. I read a book three or four times and maybe I'll, that's because it's not the way I, I learn. We learn in different ways. So when we're talking about the gospel and we're talking about it being of first importance, do we spend time in it, enough time in it, that we're learning it? Are we sharing it in different ways? Are we talking about it? Are we reading it? Are we discussing it with, with people that, that it's being absorbed? Are we thinking about what we're going to say in response to questions so that we're formulating answers and therefore stimulating even in ourselves thought-provoking questions that can say, well, what about this? And, and how, what does this mean? And how does, how does this play out so that we have answers even in ourselves that we're learning the gospel? Because we understand it is of first importance. That we need to be reminded of the importance of it. It says here that it is what saves you. For by it you are saved. Is it first importance? Clearly, clearly the understanding of the gospel is important. And it should be more important than ninth on the list. And we, had a, we have to begin to change those numbers in our lives. Because we understand the truth of it. So, in verse 3, he starts that by explaining to them again why it's of first importance. And hopefully they understand the truth of what Jesus has done. Because what does he start in verse 3? He says, okay, so for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is what he passed on, right? That Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day again according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to others. That he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to more than five hundred. And he appeared to those that are alive still as, as of the writing and those who have fallen asleep. He appeared to the apostles. And then later on he appears even to Paul. This is the truth of the gospel. That Christ lived that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. And that's important because it was for the will of God so that we could have life. Without it, without these actions, we cannot be saved. Right? Without Christ's living, dying, his burial, and his resurrection, fulfilling prophecy, and being according to the will of God, we cannot have salvation. Is this important to us? Yeah, let's, let's get on board here, right? Well, I know the answer you're all thinking, but let's, let's respond with a, a nod of the head. Yes, it's, an, it's important to us. So then the question, is it really? Now, I, I know today that most of us are going to go home and we're going to watch three hours of television tonight. Because there's a Jets game on. So you're going you're gonna to hit about that average. Now some of you are shaking your head like, no, the Jets are no good, I don't watch them, and I agree with you. <laughs> I, I will probably watch it anyway. And I might even be cheering for them. But... So we're going to fill that three hours. Does that mean that we can't at the same time 
be focused on the gospel. It shouldn't be one or the other. We, we have to understand the importance of God's word. We have to understand the importance of it. It, it, is, it is what, as was read for us, it is what we teach. It is good for rebuking and teaching and, and bringing others closer to God. It is what, what draws us closer to the will of God and how we understand and know what pleases Him. It's how we correct when we're, when we're making mistakes and we're off of the narrow path. It's how we know how the church should function and, and act, how they should respond. It, it's what God has given to us as this this wonderful letter of love and instruction on, on this is how I feel about you, what I want from you, salvation for you. And we gotta, we got to be involved in that in our lives and, and know that this is the truth of how we are to live. In the next, in the next passage, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, if you're still there, he talks about resurrection. And, and what, that, what that means in the understanding of the gospel, in the understanding of of God's word, what that what that means for us, and so in the, in the very next uh, passage, uh, we're not going to read it all, but it says, "But if if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised." And so there there's these questions about about resurrection and life and the importance of it and what it all means. Well, we understand now, we have the, maybe the blessing of being able to look back and see other passages of Scripture and be able to see everything in it that says, and we know without a doubt that Christ is alive then, right? And this is one of the blessings of having God's Word is to have the answers to some of even these questions. That Christ is alive. Our, our, our God, our Messiah who came and, and died is in fact alive. Do you ever wondered what it was like as they come up out of Egypt, the people of God come up out of Egypt, and they're being led miraculously by God? Right? The pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. They're being, they're being fed from, with manna from heaven. And they, and they get out into the, this place, and, and Moses goes off onto the mountain to receive the, the Ten Commandments. And the people immediately ask for what? Do you remember? They immediately ask Aaron to do what? Take all the gold that we have and fashion for us a calf, a golden calf, that we may worship it. Have you ever thought to yourself, how in the world could you be led miraculously in that manner where you see a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire at night that is leading you in the direction of the land that God has promised you, that he is literally feeding you from heaven? And then, in that moment, you say, well, yeah, golden calf will do. And you wonder, how is that even possible? We serve a living God. Christ, who is alive, who has come into this world, and lived and died, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and was raised to life, suffering on the cross, taking on our sin, taking on our death, so that we could literally have life eternal, life to its fullest, new life. We can't, we can't turn away from that. We can't, we can't have, have something that's more important than that. Certainly not what's on TV today. I don't know if you've ever tried to watch TV today, but oh man. 
some of it is just, I don't know what the right word is for it, but it's, it's not worth the time. Now, there's some shows I like, but we're all honest. Some of us probably all watch some TV, and I'm not condemning it all. And what I'm saying is that we have to understand what is first importance. Because if we were going to say no TV, there'd be some curling fans that wouldn't be very happy, right? And yet, if it came down to it, how many of you would give that up for God's Word? Well, I know that there's curling fans here that after church is over say, what happened in the curling? Because this is more important than that. Even though I'm interested in what ha- took place there. What happened in the football game? I'm kind of interested. It was on during church. I wasn't going to miss church for the football game. It doesn't mean we can't have things that we enjoy, that, that bring us joy, that, that we like to be involved in. But it has to be first importance. This is what we're talking about is eternal life. Christ is alive. And if Christ is alive, then what is true for all that are in him? Well, I gave it away. In Christ all live. If you are in Christ, there is an eternity of life awaiting you. Apart from Christ, there is not life. But in Christ, if we are obedient and in Christ Jesus our Lord, there is life and life eternal. And life is grand, isn't it? I mean, there's lots of bad things in our life. There's lots of things that we we suffer through and that are difficult. But life as a whole, is a wonderful, amazing blessing from God. It is good. It is good to be alive. It's good to be able to worship God. It's good to be able to praise God. It's good to be able to live and know that this is the life that God has given us. At the very, uh, near the very end of that passage, uh, 12 to 34, it says in verse 33, and I want to kind of key on that, Do not be misled. Bad company corrects, corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. Now, you go back even farther, and it says this. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those who are baptized for the dead, if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes... What have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That, that's the thought, really, of, of the world in general, right? If, if there's nothing after this, if there is no life, if this is all that is of first importance, then let's just do whatever we want each day. Now, if, if everyone gave in to that line of thinking, what would happen? There would be, there'd be chaos in our and so we, we've adopted rules by which we live, and then within that framework of the rules, most people still say, well, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And he says in response to that, do not be misled. Because even if you eat and drink, and tomorrow your physical body dies, that is not the end. That, that death isn't the end of what's going to happen. And you're going to look back at that and you will have an eternity to look back at that and wish you had changed your mind. 
Wished you had done something else. Wished you hadn't been misled. Wished that you had come to an understanding of what is actually important. Because there is a resurrection of the dead. There is an eternity for all. Not eternity of life, but there is an eternity for all. So do not be misled. So then the next question, I I like this. Uh, Going to verse 35. But someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? And his response to that is what? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Oh, I pushed the wrong button. There we go. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58. So we always have questions, right? We're, we're a curious group by nature. We, we have questions on how things work. As a society, as mankind, it's how we grow. It's how we learn. We have questions. And so here's a question. How does it work? How, do, how does resurrection, how's it going to work? What's it going to look like when the dead are raised? That doesn't, doesn't seem like a very pretty picture, Right? And yet, that's what's going to happen. The, the dead will be raised and lifted up. So how does that, how does that body work? And what, what Paul says here is that there's, there's a difference. Because what went into the ground is perishable, and what comes up is imperishable. And in fact, he starts that off with an analogy that, that most will understand. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. Right? And go back even further. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So even, even that we understand that of being put into the ground and something else comes up. And so it is that which is perishable as opposed to what comes up is imperishable. This life which so is so quick as, as Wayne said, it is so quick like grass of the field here one day and gone the next that was put into the ground and yet something else is raised. What that will look like we'll see. But it's something else that is imperishable. And it's really, it's really the difference between what we have here on earth as earthly man or mankind versus what will be heavenly. And there's a unique difference because here on earth, God has said that there is no one who has seen me for surely if they do, they will what? They will die, right? And yet this, which is raised, this imperishable, this, this heavenly body will be one that will spend an eternity in the very presence of God. It's imperishable. Now, as I was preparing this, try saying perishable and imperishable in your head like 20 times and then on command, come out with the right one. It's trickier than you think. What goes into the ground is perishable and what comes up is imperishable. What is earthly, which is heavenly. And there is a connection of going down and being planted. Now, not, not all will fall asleep, not all will die. But those who have will be raised up to life in God, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And get to spend an eternity with Him. Because, as we've seen from the Gospel story, from the, the New Testament as we see it, there is victory over sin. And we have to, in ourselves, in our bodies, be connected to that victory for this to turn out well. Now, when we talk about the dead being raised, we often are thinking about those who will be lifted up with Christ Jesus 
to spend an eternity in the presence of God? But will not all the, those who have died be raised to give an account of their lives? Will there not be an eternity for all those who have, who have perished? But will they have, an imper- will they have this, this body of life? Will they be raised for death? Not a, it's not a pleasant thought, is it? And yet, it's the truth. We need to have victory over sin now. I mean, right now. We have to be connected to it. We have to be coming to Him and repenting of our sins, being washed clean, living for Him, repenting of our sins again and again and again turning our lives over to Him and understanding what is important in our lives matters. How do we gain, how do we, who are perishable and earthly, gain victory over sin so that we will be raised imperishable and heavenly? When you know the answer to that, you know the importance of the Gospel. Because it's not us. It's, it's not me. There is nothing that I can do in all my wisdom or power to go from perishable to imperishable, from earthly to heavenly. But I can be connected to that victory because it is Christ Jesus. And when you understand the gospel, you understand what needs to be done. And you understand the importance of it. Because he's called us to do what? Okay, let's go very... Let's, Back to the very beginning. For what I received, in verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for your sins. Jumping to verse 4. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And that he lives now and appeared to many. We continue on. And scripture then goes on and tells us how we are connected to that. Right? That we come to Him in faith and we believe that we are obedient to the Word of God as it is written. Not not how we want to perceive it, but how it is written. So that we can be connected to His life and victory over sin. One of the things I I often think is that we think about the cross. and, And when we think about the cross, we think about the cross as this uh, terrible, painful, uh, heart-wrenching event. But don't get me wrong, it was. Right? It, it really was. The pain that he would have felt on the cross is more than I, I've ever experienced physically. And yet, the taking on of sin and death and separation from God, I can't imagine. can't imagine what that was like. That he took on our sin and our death and separation from God so that we could have life. We have, very clearly, we have no idea what it is like to be separated from God. We have not lived a single day in this life that is not God's world, God's day that he has created. Because the life we live, there is still hope, right? Right? There is still the possibility of eternity of life. 
And so we've never experienced what it's like to be fully separate from God. But if we are not connected to the victory that was gained by Christ Jesus going to the cross and dying and taking in our sin and having that victory over it and being raised to life, then we will experience that for an eternity. That is not... I, I know that we as a, as a people like to kind of characterize what hell is going to be like in kind of a cartoony manner. If, you ever, if you've ever read, read books or, or looked at, at cartoons when they talk about hell, what, what's it like? More often than not, they're talking or telling a joke about what, how easy it is. Right? Oh, this isn't so bad. You know, this is, this is great. This is going to be... Or it's, it's not the worst thing ever. It's the absolute worst thing ever. And you take what you know right now to be the absolute worst thing that you have ever experienced, and you can go tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. It is beyond your concept of how much worse it is. As it is on the other side in, in terms of goodness. Because the best thing you've experienced now is going to be nothing compared to spending an eternity in the presence of our God. And that only comes through victory over sin. And that only comes in Christ Jesus. I want to, I want to close this morning by uh, switching up just a little bit. We're going to turn into the book of Jude, if you'd like to follow along. And again, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, Jude, obviously, chapter 1, verse 17. Jude, the 17th verse, it says, and we'll read to the end. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Uh, These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Christ Jesus our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.